You know, the first time I ever heard that song, I was, it was like two weeks ago, I was in my car, and the radio station said, okay, the first time ever being played, and, and it didn't matter what it was, it was the fray, so I immediately loved it. They could sing Ring Around the Rosie. I'd go, it's awesome, because I love the fray. Um, but I listened to those words in my car, and I thought, ah, I don't know if I like this song, because it sounds like Isaac, the guy who wrote it, is like uh, mad at God. <laughs> and uh, then I got on their website, and, uh, and I was just reading what we rolled on the screens there at the beginning, and... Um, that made more sense to me because I never met the guys in the fray, but uh, Isaac's parents, I was having a conversation with them a few weeks ago, and they were telling me about just the health problems and things that are going on in their life right now, and their life really is this, this, this tunnel that they believe God's on the other end of it and walking through this tunnel with them. And that kind of goes along with what I want to talk about tonight. Um, no matter what song I listen to on the radio or what movie I go see or what book I very rarely read, but every once in a while I'll read a book. But um, the theme on, on in all these, all these uh, forms of art, it's kind of a variation on the same theme, and it kind of goes like this. I think every movie or book kind of lines up that you've read too. It goes like this, is that everything's fine, and then something goes wrong, right? I mean, so everything's going great, you know, and everything's going great in my life or my family or in my town or in the world or whatever, and then tragedy strikes. Somebody does something bad to another person or someone, something unforeseen happens or someone gets into big trouble and they make a mistake or whatever. And, and just when all hope is lost, you know, and the music's really soft, and I, then the hero shows up, right? I mean, almost every story you can think of, it's like everything is like going wrong and then the hero shows up and kind of saves the day. And sometimes it costs the hero a lot. My first memory of, of, of this theme goes back to when I was a little kid. Like, um, so kids aren't going to know this, but my parents, Mighty Mouse, remember Mighty Mouse, or Underdog, remember Underdog, the original one? Um, remember someone was tied to the, to, to the railroad tracks, and, and just before the, the train cuts the, the damsel, you know, in, in half, you know, you hear Mighty Mouse go, here I come to save the day. Remember, it's, your kids are like, that's so geeky, shut up. But anyway, um, um, but even in, in recently, uh, it's true in Superman. Or, or Spider-Man, or Batman, you know, and all the other Supermans, whatever, right? It's, it's true in Finding Nemo, you know, Dad shows up and all that. It's true in The Incredibles, the world's about to end and The Incredibles come. It's true with James Bond, great movie, uh, or Jack Bauer, yeah, or, or, or Rudolph, you know, I mean, it's all the same thing. Just think about all these stories have in common is that all hope is lost. Christmas isn't going to happen. The world is going to be blown up, whatever, and then somebody shows up. It's usually the person that you've kind of given up on, that they're ever going to come, or, and they show up and they do what nobody else will do or can do, and as a result, Christmas is saved, or the damsel in distress is saved, or the world is saved. It's the most common theme you know, in, in art, in literature, in theater, in, in music. And the question I want to throw out tonight is this, does life imitate art, or um, does art imitate what we all have kind of intuitively inside of us, something we know? Kind of something we know about ourselves, or really a question that we have hanging out there that asks this question, is rescue really possible? Meaning this is that if, if I get into trouble in my life, if, if I get into a situation and I really need someone to swoop in and save the day, would anybody rescue me? Would anybody save me, help me when I need it the most? And I'll be honest with you, I, I think that, that this is the reason why so many of us are fascinated, enamored, whatever, fixated, focused on this thing called Christmas. And that's what I'll look at tonight. A couple of reasons why I think we're so focused on Christmas, and the first one goes along with what we just said. For a few days, hours, weeks, whatever, out of the year, every one of us is confronted with this huge question. It goes like this. I wonder if that's true. Sometime in between now and Christmas, all right, is that you're going to be confronted with, is this whole thing true? 
I mean, not just the stable and the manger and the wise men and the, and the angels and the shepherds. No, bigger question. Do you really think there's a God? And if there is, do you really think that he would put on flesh and come and live with us? Do you think there's a God? And if there is a God, do you think he would come and like eat our food and, and kind of do our things and, and feel what we feel and hurt like we hurt and suffer what we suffer? If there is a God, do you think he would come down here and be with us and help us? The Bible says that's exactly what happened. As a matter of fact, it's the most common theme in the whole Bible. We're calling this whole series Move, which is like, they wanted me to dance with them, but I was like, no, I'll show you up and I'll break something. So anyway, but we're all, for all month between now and Christmas, we're going to be looking at this, this Move theme in the Bible. And, and you find this repeated over and over from cover to cover in the Bible, literally, is that in the first couple of chapters it happens, in the last chapter it happens, is that, is that God comes down and does something and then lifts us up. Over and over and over, hundreds of times in the Bible, God comes down, does something, and then lifts us up. It's this movement of God. And as a matter of fact, I'll give you more specific. All the parts of the Bible before Jesus, it's kind of the same story played out over and over and over. And let me just kind of give you the Cliff's Notes version of the first thousand pages of the Bible, right? And see if this sounds familiar. Because I think a lot of us are going to go, that's my life. It looks like this, all right? Me and God are great. There was a day when God and I were cool, and I love Jesus. Yes, I do. How about you? I mean, we were like, I love Jesus, and everything's going great. And then one day or over a season of days, whatever, something caught my eye. And I thought, I think I want that more than I want him. So you kind of looked at God, not even consciously, but you kind of said, thanks, I'll be back later, maybe, all right? And you ran after this thing. All right, and, and it worked for you for a while, but this, again, this is my story. Then it blew up, and it went wrong, and you know what I did? I, I did this, and this happened in the Bible all the time. You look back at God and go, I'm sorry. Ever prayed that prayer? All right. I'm sorry. Help me. How long will you forget about me? I need you to rescue me. Come down and, and help me, and God does it. He comes down or sends somebody down. He does some things, moves some things around, and then picks us up, and then after he picks us up, we look back at God and go, I'm, I won't do that again. I'm sorry, and we're tight with God again. Ever been on that roller coaster? Until something catches our eye again, and we look back at God and go, I think I can do it this time. See you later. And we run after this other thing, and it blows up, and then it goes bad, and we look at God and go, oh, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. I promise if you'll save me one more time. And he comes down and does some things in our life and then picks us up. And we go, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm back. And this bipolar, schizophrenic relationship with God has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. Does that, anybody else, can anybody relate to that? Because that's my story. Over and over and over. It's like, hey, God, see you later. Okay, I'm back. Thanks for helping me. You go back to the, to the, the middle of the Bible. Um, if, if, if you have the Flatterns Bible, it's like right in the middle, page 480. And there's this prophet named Isaiah. And Scott talked about him last week. But he kind of, one of the focuses of what his teaching was about was this. Kind of the main event coming down. There's a coming down that's going to happen. It's going to kind of change everything. And as soon as I start reading this, you're going to go, I got this on a card one time. And here's where it comes from. Isaiah chapter 7, he says, therefore, therefore what? I mean, this is how, this is what to look for to know that God is coming down, swooping down, whatever you want to call it, to help you, to, to rescue. Therefore, the Lord God, he's going to give you a sign. Okay, I'm coming down to help you. Here it is. Ready? The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel which is Hebrew for God with us. Later, Isaiah says it this way. For to us, a child is born. Same child as the virgin was having, all right? For uh, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, given, and the government will be on his shoulders. The government will be on his shoulders. What do you mean? And it's hard to believe, but originally, the job of government was to help you. 
I know, that's a stretch, but anyway, I go with it. The job of government is to help us and, and, and protect us. And what, what, when Emmanuel, God with us, God with skin on, shows up, he's going to shoulder that. He's going to say, I'm going to take on, I, I'll protect you. I, I'm going I'm I'm to take care of you. And this Emmanuel, he will be called Wonderful Counselor. It means in the confusion of life, and, and I don't understand what's going on in my life, he'll, he, he'll guide you. And he'll be called Mighty God. This Emmanuel, God with flesh on, is going to be called Mighty God. He's going to do things and pull off things that nobody else could do unless they were Almighty God. He's going to be called Everlasting Father. Not only is he going to be a good father to you, but he'll never quit. He'll never, you know, give up on you. He'll never abandon or leave you like some fathers have tended to do, maybe in your life. He's going to be called Prince of Peace. When your life is full of stress and turmoil and conflict and war, he's going to be your prince. He's going to show up and give you peace. And people are going to say, why do you have peace? I don't know. God's just giving me peace in the middle of all this. Isaiah says that. Now, about a thousand years later, there's this guy named Joseph. You know the story. But Joseph is engaged with this girl named Mary and finds out that his fiancée is pregnant. And he has a very narrow understanding of how that happened. Okay? And he, all he knows about this is, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Because I have not been with her in the biblical sense, even though the Bible's not written. I have not done that yet. And I'm telling you, it wasn't me. And legally, we talked about this a few weeks ago, legally, I can have you killed because obviously you've committed adultery. So he didn't want to do that. He didn't, you don't have to have her killed, but you can. Legally, you can have her executed. So what he does is he, he decides to secretly file divorce papers. Now, back in Jesus' day, back in the Bible days, being engaged and being married both took a divorce to get out of. I mean, they were that, that serious. But he, he doesn't want to do that because he knows if I go public and this gets out, they're going to kill her. They're going to kill her. Now, time out. Now, this, this is the Bible. Now, this is Jim, okay? I can't prove this at all. So if you want to go la, 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 it's okay. But... I wonder, I wonder, okay, just, just hang with me for three minutes and then we'll get back to the Word of God. I wonder if when Jesus was a little boy and looked at his, you know, stepfather Joseph and asked the question that every little boy asked, hey, where did I come from? He didn't do it with a southern accent, but go with it, all right? Hey, where did I come from? I wonder if Joseph told this story. I wonder. I wonder if he said, well, this, this is kind of the, the way it goes. And then I wonder as... When Jesus grew up and, and a teenage girl that had slept with a guy that she wasn't married to was thrown at his feet. Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago? Was thrown at his feet and they said, hey, Jesus, the Bible says we can kill her. What do you have to say? I wonder, as he looked at that girl laying in the middle of the street, if he thought, that almost happened to my mom. They, they almost executed my mom. If Joseph had said, you know, you're a cheater, they, they would have killed her. And I wonder if that's maybe one of the reasons he had so much compassion on her. I can't prove that. If you don't like that, just dismiss it, and let's get back to the Word of God, okay? Anyway, Joseph is kind of in this quandary, and he's, he's laying in bed going, I, I don't know, should I, should I divorce her? I don't know. And you know the story. If you follow this at all, an angel shows up, and this is what the angel says. After he, Joseph, had considered this, divorcing Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God put that baby in there. She will give birth to a son, and you're to name him Jesus, all right, which in Hebrew is Yeshua, which actually means salvation. You're going to call him salvation. Literally, the Lord is salvation because he will save. He will, he will rescue. He will swoop down and save the day. He'll save people from their sins. What do you mean save us from our sins? The, the repercussion of messing up. You're disconnected from God. He's going to be the one that reconnects us. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet Isaiah that we just read about. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I don't know, I, I think the first reason that so many of us pay so much attention to Christmas is not that we get some presents, you know, in a couple weeks, but it really does force us to confront a big question. Do you think it's true? Do you think it's true? Is there a God, and if there is, do you think he'd ever, like, come here, put on flesh, and live with us and help us? And, I, you know, I can't answer that for you. No preacher can. No church can. That's between you and God. According to the Bible, the Bible says it's impossible to believe that Jesus is the Son of God unless you and God have a conversation and he convicts you of it. There's not a preacher on the planet that's good enough to talk you into something that outrageous. It's got to be between you and God. So I think that's one of the reasons we're so fascinated with Christmas. The second reason I think so many of us pay attention to is, that, is this. If there is God and if he did come down here and live with us, I wonder what that would look like. You ever wondered what would happen if Jesus showed up now? If, if God put on flesh and came and lived with us now, what would that look like? And the answer is, well, for a few weeks or days or hours out around Christmas, we get a glimpse of it, an imperfect glimpse. It's not a, it's not a, you know, a, a great one, but an imperfect glimpse of what life might look like if Jesus lived with us. Now, let me explain that, okay? There's this guy named Paul. Now, Paul used to hate Christians, and he persecuted them and then had them thrown in prison and had their stuff confiscated and had them killed. And then he became a Christian. That messes up your life. And he had to go into witness protection program for a while and change his name from Saul to Paul because some people were mad. Like, you killed my mom. And so anyway, he went to Egypt for a few years. Then he came back and he started churches. You know, irony, right? And he goes around and he starts his churches. He started this one church in a little town called Philippi. It's still there today. Philippi. And people who live in Philippi are called Philippians. I don't know if that's the mascot. I don't know, right? But anyways, if you live in Philippi, you're called a Philippian. And he wrote a letter to the people that live in Philippi called Philippians. And in this, he kind of gives a snapshot or kind of paints a little picture. This is what it looked like. This is what it looked like, and this is what it looks like now if God were to put on skin and live with us. Philippians chapter 2, all right? He says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and I'll explain this in a second, all right? If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Paul basically looks at these people and goes, hey, if you get him, if you get Jesus, if, if you've connected with him, if you've ever gone through a time in your life and you felt the comfort of, of God, if you've ever experienced God's love or his grace and his forgiveness and tenderness, if, if, if that registers at all, this is what it looks like. Look at verse 2, he says, then make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Paul says, listen, I can't be there with you that I'm writing, I'm writing this letter, but it would give me amazing joy if I found out that you people who claim to be followers of Jesus actually had the same mind, the same love, the same spirit, and the same purpose as this Jesus you claim to follow. And by the way, it looks like this. Verse 3, do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others, other people, better than yourselves. Each of you should look, not, look, should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul's describing Jesus here. I mean, you can search the Scriptures. You can't find one time when Jesus does something selfish. Not once. You can't find something where he goes, look how great I am. Look, look how, you know, you should, you, should, you should cheer for me or out of vain conceit. No, no, not, not one time. He, he came to, to look out for you, for your interest. What do you need? Now, time out. Isn't that what we're shooting for at Christmas? 
I mean, isn't that what you're trying to accomplish in these three weeks that we have left? For a few weeks, or, you know, and something clicks maybe around Thanksgiving, and we don't do it perfectly, but more than any other time in the next year, all right, we're actually going to try to think about other people. It doesn't last long. By February, we're back to the whatever, okay? But I'm telling you, for a few weeks out of the year, we kind of think about people that we haven't thought about since, I don't know, last December, right? People that we've lost track of, uh, We've put money in red buckets for people that we'll probably never, ever meet. We just think that that's a good thing to do around this time of year. We, we adopt families going through hard times. We drop off cookies at our neighbor's house. We haven't been to their house since last time we dropped off cookies. We spend hours in crowded malls and parking lots looking for some type of gift to express to someone, hey, this is what I think about you. Now, again, by February, it fades, and we go back to honking horns and, yeah, you're a jerk, you know, all that kind of stuff. But for a few minutes out of the year... Around December, many of us would say, you know, looking out for other people, that's, that's, that's just what I should do, especially this time of year. He goes on, he says this, your attitude. In other words, hey, if you connect with Christ, you've got to think like Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You've got to see things the way he does. Who? Christ Jesus. Being in very nature or being in the very form of God. Jesus is God in the form of God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And the word grasped literally means leveraged. You know, here's what I mean by that. Some of you have leverage over one another, right? Parents, you can tell these little people what to do, and most of the time they have to do that, or you've got leverage. You know, you can't have this, you can't have that. Some of you have the title of boss. You can look at some and go, you know what? Um, if you want a job, you will do what I say. You have leverage over another person. Some of you have money. You know, it's like, you can have my money, but... You have to do what I say, you know, something like that. Some of you just have muscle. Or, you know, you're walking out going, I'll beat you up. So you have leverage over other people. And that's what Jesus is saying, or Paul's saying this. He says, See, Jesus is in the very nature of God. Did not consider his godness something to be leveraged against people. No, no, not, not at all. But, but he made himself, but he made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature, the very form of a servant being made in human likeness. Here's the answer, number one. Why are we so fascinated with Christmas? What would it look like if Jesus, if God put on flesh and walked around with us? Here's the answer. You might want to write this down. He'd be a servant. He probably wouldn't look like God in the movies. He'd be a servant. See, Jesus never, and again, prove me wrong. You search the scriptures. I can't find any place where Jesus walks in a room and goes, all right, I'm God, get in line. And I got the hell card here. Bam, get out. You know, he's like, now he could have. He could have. He could. He can send anybody. He could do anything. He's God, you know. He could have walked in a room and said, "Get, do what I tell you to do, or else." He never did that. Sometimes I think he maybe should have, but he didn't. He had that card. He never played it. Look at the next verse. And being found in appearance as a man, a servant, all right, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So God with us, God with flesh on. First word is servant, and then you want to add these words to it: humble. And obedient. Now, let's go back to this, how this whole thing started. What does every good hero story have in common? This. When all appears lost, when everybody's tried everything that they can do and nothing has worked, somebody shows up and does what nobody else can do or is able to do and saves the day. Does that sound familiar? So why, are we so, you know, why do we care so much about Christmas? First of all, because I think it forces us to answer or at least ask the big question, do I, is it really true? And the second is because for a couple minutes, not very long, a couple weeks maybe, maybe a month, all right, we get to cl- catch a glimpse of God with us, God with skin on, what that looks like. 
And it looks kind of like this. For a few days, we take better care of one another, right? We, we, uh, we, we, we share with one another. We, we serve one another. We don't serve each other the other 11 months of the year, but for, for a few minutes, we help each other. We, we give things to one another. We, help, we see a need, and we actually pull over and help. We, we actually do that. We take a break from selfishness and, and vain conceit for a few weeks. But the truth is, is that what Paul's writing here has nothing to do with a holiday. He has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus. has nothing to do with, hey, for a few weeks out of the year, could you just be nicer to one another? What, he, what he's describing is, this needs to be the new normal. Do you get Jesus? Have you connected with Jesus? Yeah, I think so. Then the new normal for your life is, hey, leverage your life, not just for your own selfish ambition, but for some other people. So let me move on to the kind of the application part of this. And it applies 24-7, not just December, you know, 365 days a year, but but it certainly applies in the next three weeks. The first application is this. Paul says this, if you have any understanding, if you've connected with Jesus and what he's about, then our lives need to be described more and more and more, maybe not totally yet, but more than they were last year, by three words. And here they are. Servant, humble, obedient. And by obedient, I mean you see something that needs to be done and you, and you do it. So, if, you, if you've connected with Jesus, if you've connected with God, if you get him, three words describe your life according to the Bible. Servant, humble, and obedient. First question. This verse didn't get awkward. Ready? If I were to ask somebody to describe you, not you, I'm not going to ask you to describe you because you describe a much better person than what is reality. But anyway, if I were to actually ask the person sitting next to you tonight, or maybe the people you live with, or the people you work with, or go to school with, or play ball with, or whatever, hey, describe so-and-so to me. Would those words make the list? Oh, so-and-so, they're a real servant. They're so humble. They're obedient. They see things that need to be done, and they just do it. Would that make the list, any of those words? Top five? Top 50? See, one, see well, I don't, I don't know where I would even start with something like that, you know? One of the things that uh, every hero I've ever encountered, you know, from underdog to, to Jesus... Um, they all did the same thing. They made a decision. They didn't have to go and rescue and save. They, they made this decision. I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to go. And that's exactly what happens with Jesus. Jesus, who is God in heaven, you know, I mean, he's got it pretty good up there. Throne, angels, you know, singing, crown, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know. Right? He, he made a decision, take off the crown, take off the robe, step off the, the, the throne, and go down to us and get dirty. God in a manger. God with not enough to eat today because his parents are out of work. God being betrayed by his friends. God kind of at the end of his rope sometimes. God standing on a corner. Having people go, hey, why don't you help me? That's exactly, that's exactly what he did. And I might add at great cost and sacrifice. And the Bible says, do you, do you get that? Because if you get that, if you understand it, we need to think like that. And we need to kind of see our role in the world through the same lens. What do you mean? It's very simple. Very simple application. Find a place that needs some service and serve. Find some people that need some help and do what needs to be done. Now, time out. It would be really easy for me to kind of turn this into a, a recruiting drive, you know, for our Christmas weekend. So I'm going to, all right? <laughs> Without apology, all right? Here's it. I, I need several hundred of you in this room to go out on the table when the service is over by the fireplace and sign up to volunteer for Christmas weekend, two weekends from now. 
sign up to help in our children's ministry, sign up to help in the lobby, sign up to help out in, in, in the parking lots. Just, just sign up. I need you to say, I'm going to come one hour and stay an extra hour and, and serve. I'm going to come early and serve, and then I'm going to stay, and then I'm, then I'm going to go to church. And you might be sitting here going, that's not me. I, I, don't, I don't serve. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty important, actually, and I don't, I don't really serve, and uh, serving's not my thing, all right? Well, and I don't say this very often, if you're sitting here going, I, I don't serve, uh, you're wrong. You're wrong. You see, you, see, you know, if, if you say, well, you know, it's not my thing, then you're missing the main thing, according to Jesus, because to follow Jesus is to serve, humbly serve, and to ask one question, not, do you know who I am? Do you know how important I am? No, that's not even the right question. Jesus never asked it one time. He said this, um, what, what, what do you need? What, what, what needs to be done? So tonight, I'm just asking you, all right, with all in- emphasis that I can, um, sign up to serve on Christmas weekend or else you may end up on somebody's naughty list. <laughs> I can't prove that, and you, and you probably won't end up on a naughty list, but you need to sign up, okay? Recruiting drive over. See, now here, that's easy. Sign up going, I can give away one hour, and I've never served over there, but I'll, I'll do that. That's not what I'm even talking about tonight. If you're saying this whole thing was about that, not at all. It's not what I'm talking about. It's not what Paul was talking about. It's not what Jesus is talking about. Humbly serving is not an event. It's the way you live your life. Right? It's, it's the way you live your life. At Christmas, you get a glimpse of it, but it's, it's, it's the way you live your life. We say this all the time around here about money. If you don't trust flat irons to put money in the buckets back there, then get out of this place and go give your money to someplace that you do trust. Just don't keep all your money for yourself and end up being a greedy person. It's all mine. It's all mine. If you don't trust us, that's fine. Go give to the Humane Society. If you want to save puppies, go do that. If you want to save trees, go do that. If you, but whatever it is that you say, I do trust, give your mon- some of your money away. Just don't be a greedy person. And it's the same thing with serving. You've got to make a decision. I'm a busy person. I'm an important person. But I'm going to carve out part of my life, part of my time, not just once a year, but I'm going to serve somebody as a regular part of this is who I am. Not because it's going to look good on me and selfish you know, ambition or you know, people are going to go, oh, he's so wonderful. So serve here at Flatirons. But if, if you don't want to serve here, then go serve someplace else. Go serve at your kid's school. I, I remember my kids were in school. They never had enough people to help out. Go, go serve at the Humane Society. I've never met a soup kitchen that says we have too many volunteers. Whatever, I've got to think like Jesus. I've got to see things like Jesus. Whatever that leads you to do, get out of this room and go do it. It's called humble service. And it would be great if you signed up to help Christmas weekend. It would be greater if you move more and more over the next, you know, weeks to letting humble servant and obedient describe you all the time. Now, after having said that, don't go serve so somebody pats you on the back and says, oh, you're wonderful and you're, you're great. But the Bible does say this. If you see somebody doing something really well, the Bible says you need to give them what they have coming. You know, if, if it's honor, then, then you need to give people honor. Now, I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at honoring people. I'm not very good at saying thank you. And, 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 and this, is not, this is not an excuse. It's just a reason. My life, and I think a lot of us can relate to this, my life is going 1,000 miles an hour. In yours? I mean, I've got things to do, whatever. And so when somebody is helping me and doing great things for me, and then they have to drop out or move or go over here or whatever and not run with me anymore, I'm moving so fast, all I can really muster up is, hey, thanks a lot, and then I keep going. Does anybody else do that? I hardly say thank you, and I I wish I was, I'm going to be better at that starting tonight, and here's here's what I I mean by that, and and tonight, as I do this, maybe the only reason that you're here tonight is because you're going to have to get up out of this room in about half an hour and go and do the same thing to someone in in your life, and here's what that looks like. About nine years ago, Sam and Nancy Williams were living in California. 
Sam and Nancy had started a church in San Francisco, very similar to, to Flatirons, and it was growing and busting out, and there's great stories that Sam told me about it. But about the same time, about nine years ago, Sam was offered a, a, a position in a firm up in Boulder for this very profitable, for-profit company to take the profits of that company and give them away to nonprofit organizations and to the poorest of the poor all over the world. So for the last 10 years, Sam has traveled all over the world, China, all these, all these corners of the world, to find people to raise up in leadership and, and fund some of the best missions and, and, uh, and works all over the world that God's been in, involved in. Shortly after moving to, to Colorado, they, you know, they, they've been involved in ministry all their life, so they started looking for a church to kind of to visit, and they visited Flatirons, and they thought, we're just looking for this little church. It was down in this carpet store. We're just looking for this little church that we can kind of slip in the back door because we've done church leadership enough, all right? We're going to slip in the back, and we're going to sit and sing some songs, listen to the guy talk, and then we're going to take communion, and we're going to go home. That didn't last. Gil, who's the, who's the lead pastor, kind of found out who they were and all that they had done you know, in the church all over the world, and before long, both Sam and Nancy were leading classes here at Flatirons and teaching Bible studies and helping keep the staff encouraged and, and, and kind of keep up with all the rapid growth. Shortly after that, uh, Sam was asked to serve as an elder here at Flatirons. When elder around here kind of means this, kind of a spiritual leader and advisor, kind of protecting the vision and the direction of Flatirons, protecting the pastor, you know, in case he's screwed up in the head and you're, they're trying, but it's not working great. But anyway, before long, Sam and Nancy joined our staff. When Gil Jones, who is the, the lead pastor, uh, stepped down from his position about four years ago, Flatirons, a very young church, just like it is now, just a lot of people who've only been going to church for a little while, were left without a leader, without a lead pastor or a, a lead teacher. And if you've ever heard Gil teach, big shoes to fill. I mean, fantastic teacher. and He left a huge leadership role. And most people thought it's a matter of time. It's a matter of time until Flatirons does what all the other churches do when they lose their leader they kind of fold up. People kind of start fighting, and then people kind of get disillusioned, and they leave, and eventually you just close your doors. And while God gets all the credit and the glory, all right, I'm pretty sure that's what would have happened to Flatirons had not Sam and Nancy Williams stepped up. And for over a year, uh, on top of his regular job traveling all over the world, Sam led this church with Nancy by his side and, and taught almost every weekend up here, as well as Wednesday night Bible studies and a whole bunch of other things. And while most churches would go down in attendance, Flatirons didn't miss a beat. Three years ago, about exactly three years ago, when I flew out here to interview for this position, Sam's the one who sat me down and painted this picture of Flatirons. It's what captured mine and Robin's heart. When I accepted this position, Nancy was my uh, right hand. She was my assistant. She helped me navigate some really, really tricky waters. And Sam was my counselor. He's the one when I was going, I, I don't know, what, I am over my head, I don't know what to do here at all. He's the one I would call and say, what, what should I do? Now, Sam and Nancy just moved back to California, and the truth is, because of our rapid growth, most of you have no idea who I'm talking about. That, and that's kind of a good thing, and here's what I mean by that. The truth is, is that most of you would have never heard of Flatirons, or more importantly, you never would have heard this message that God doesn't hate you, but that he actually loves you. If it weren't for the fact that Sam and Nancy let go of their comfort level, saw what needed to be done and obediently served God and you before you even knew their names or they knew yours. Now, I'm not very good at honoring people or saying thank you, but tonight I want to do that right. I just want to take a minute and give honor to whom honor is due and say, hey, thank you, Sam and Nancy Williams, for showing us a living, breathing picture of what it looks like to be a humble servant. Would you guys just come up here just for a second? Can we express our gratitude to them? Let's do it.
Yeah. This is awesome. This is awesome. Come here. Yeah. 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 Right. All right, good, good, good. I'm not going to hand either one of them a mic because he's a preacher and she's a preacher's wife and we want to go to supper later. So anyway, uh, he's fantastic. both of them are fantastic teachers. And, you know, um, I, I love you. I, I am here. I, Robin and I are here and, because you guys played a huge role in it. But more importantly, this church is here. All the credit goes to Christ. But he uses people with skin on to make a difference in this world. And I just, I just need to say thank you. And I wish, you know, we're kind of in this building thing, so we don't have any money right now uh, to send you on a cruise or something. But uh, um, we'd like to give you a brick and, uh, and a commitment card. And I uh, just thought you'd pray about that. But uh, no, uh, uh, this is just something. To, I, I know you're going to remember this place because it's just an unforgettable place. But um, we just went to, put a, got a picture of the Flatirons Mountains, which... But more importantly, down here, this is out of the same letter that Paul wrote to those people living in Philippi. He says this, I thank my God every time I remember you, which is true. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, which is the good news that God loves us, and we reconnected through Jesus. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You guys, um, some of you owe your connection to God, ultimately to Jesus, to Sam and Nancy Williams, and we just want to say thank you for that, and we love you. All right? Thanks. Awesome. All right. Yeah. They're, uh, they're heroes. I, when I grow up, I want to be like them, and I'm not going to grow up. But anyway, um, they're going to be out by the fireplace, and if you've never met them before or you're like, oh, there they are. I haven't seen them forever, then stop by there and just uh, tell them thank you. Now, here's the thing is maybe you don't get anything else out of this message except this. Some of us need to get up out of this room in a few minutes and go make a phone call or stop by somebody's house or put a letter together or buy a card or a present and show up at somebody's door in the next couple weeks and go, you know what? I have put this off for way too long, but I just needed to say thank you. And I don't know who that is for you, but I bet you do. It's been way, way, far too long. That was far overdue. So maybe that's why you came to church tonight. So let's get back to this about, this is what it would look like if God lived with us. Look back at that verse again, all right? Um, Paul says this, and being found in appearance as a man. Jesus was found in appearance as a man, all right? He was God, and he came on the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And the word that kind of, kind of sticks out to me there is that word even, even, like especially. See, Jesus came, and if you read his biography, he came and did a lot of great things, I mean, really, really cool things. You ought to read about it sometime. He taught better than anybody had ever taught before. People were amazed at his teaching. He fed people. We talked about this a few weeks ago, you know. He, he took a little bit of food and fed lots of people with it. He, he, he walked on water. He did some great, amazing things. Brought people back to life. All great things. But, now, you've got to listen to this closely. Don't get up in the middle of this because you'll walk out here going, Jim's going to hell, which some of you think anyway. But listen to this. Listen. Jesus being born of a virgin in Bethlehem, laid in a manger with shepherds and angels showing up. Great, cool thing, did not save me. Didn't save me. Jesus feeding people with a little bit of bread and a, little, and a couple of fish, very cool, very miraculous, doesn't save me. Jesus walking on water, again, awesome. Nobody else can do that. 
didn't save me. Even, get this, right? The best teaching that ever came out of his mouth didn't save me. He didn't save me until he did one thing. Laid down on a cross and died in my place. That's what saved me. That's what reconnected me to God. And if he had done everything else except that, you know, we still might have Christmas. We might get up on December 25th or someday and give each other presents and go, do you remember that baby in Bethlehem that was born in the manger and the angels? Not a great story. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, so let's just give each other presents. And, you know, we still might do that. The problem is we wouldn't be reconnected to God. It'd just be a great story. In other words, if Jesus had done everything else right, every prophecy fulfilled, except this one dying on a cross and then coming back to life three days later, mission failed. Mission failed. And it's the same thing now. Some of us claim to follow Jesus individually. Some of us have linked arms and said, this is, you know, together as a church, we're going to try to follow Jesus. If we do everything right, individually or as a church, teach right, sing right, build buildings right, send kids to camp and all that kind of stuff, and, and miss the main thing, then we're missing what it meant to follow Jesus. What do I mean by that? I mean this. And I know this is going to sound like a broken record, but here we go. We believe that the heart of God beats for two things. It beats for many things, but Jesus taught over and over more than any other subjects that he taught on. The heart of God beats for two things. One is that everybody on the planet at least has an opportunity to hear that God does not hate them, that actually he loves them, and through what Jesus did on the cross, all of us can be reconnected back to God. He wants everybody to hear that. They may, they may deny it, but they at least deserve a chance to hear that. All right? His heart beats for that. The other thing that Jesus taught that his heart beats for is he wants his people to take care of the poor. And I know we talk about this a lot at Flatters, like, oh, this is that church that always talks about giving to the poor. And here's the reason we do that. Because the crazier life gets and the crazier the economy gets and the crazier my finances get, do you know what gets pushed to the back of the line first? Take care of the poor. Right? I mean, I got enough of my own deal. I don't have time to take care of the poor. And Jesus says, no matter what happens, I want them in the front of the line. I, I want the poor to, to be in the front of the line. And see, and, and this might seem some of our stories. Somewhere in the world right now, Colorado, Afghanistan, somewhere in between, a human being, and it might be a single mom, it might be an out-of-work dad, it might be a, just a hungry kid. Here, here's what's happening. Maybe a billion times tonight. They're staring through the ceiling or staring through the sky, and they're kind of, kind of throwing up this prayer. They're not even sure they believe in God, but in case there is a God and he, she, it, whatever, is listening, the prayer goes like this. Hey, hey, if you're there, I need help. Ever prayed that prayer? Ever, yeah, of course we have. God, I'm not sure I believe in you. I mean, some people call you this, and some people say you're like this, and, and, and what, whatever your name is, um, I need to feed my kids, right? A billion times, I'm sure, more than a billion times. Tonight, somebody is looking through the sky and saying, I need food, I need warmth. In Colorado, how many times tonight is it, God, if you're there, I need to pay my electric bill, or they're going to shut me off. I, if you're there, I need help. Again, I, God, I haven't talked to you in a long time, but I, one request, I, I would like for my child to be able to open one present on Christmas morning. Right? We prayed that prayer. Here's what they're not praying, by the way. They're not praying, oh, if you're there, God, send somebody to my front door and give me a religious brochure. That, that wouldn't be helpful. I mean, it might be needed, but really that's not what I'm asking for at all. You know, send me to a church that has good teaching, you know, someone to tell me what I'm doing wrong. Maybe pray for that. Send somebody in my life to tell me what I'm screwing up at. I, I know that. Uh, they're not praying for a handout. They're not praying for a pity party. Here's what they're praying. 
Even though they can't even put this into words, I think this is what it means. It goes like this. I need God to show up. If you're there, God, I need you to show up. I don't need some religious idea or philosophy to show up. I need God to show up with skin on. Right? I need a God who cares not just about what happens after my funeral. I need a God who cares about if my kids go to bed well-fed tonight and warm. What I need... Again, they can't put this into words, but this is really what they're praying. I need someone to show up and say, I follow a God whose name is Jesus. His very name means God with skin on. And I'm here. What do you need? And how can I help? That's what a billion people are praying for tonight. I need God to show up with skin on. And one of the many things I love about this church is that every time a need is announced, like, hey, there's a need here or over there, you guys show up because I believe you guys are God with flesh on. I do. And he asked this question, how can I help? Tonight, I'll give you two, reasons, two ways you can help, and then we'll go help, all right? First one is called Outrageous Love. We've had over 200 families be nominated to say, listen, I know this family. They go to Flatirons, or they're connected to Flatirons, or whatever, and they need some help. And there's all kinds of families. There's a single mom with one kid, all the way up to a foster home that has taken in over a dozen special needs children. And we need somebody to adopt those families. And it's expensive, for a family of four to have a good Christmas, it, it costs up to $200. Can you imagine that? And some of you are going, well, $200, I don't have $200. Well, then you go in with a bunch of other people. You say, I've only got 10, and I've got 10, but you've got 10, and 10, 10, and 20 of us have 10, and now we, we can do this. Before you, get, before you leave today, don't let your row out without taking a tariff or something. You know, whatever, I don't know, you know. It's like, we can, we can do this, we can do this. I promise, I promise, okay, and this is going to be a low-sell thing, but it's very, very convicting. I promise that your Christmas morning will be better spending $200 less on yourself knowing that Christmas morning a family gets out of bed and has Christmas because God showed up with skin on, because some followers of Jesus actually followed Jesus for a change. And here's the second way I think that you can show up. Last year, this is really cool. This is a spontaneous thing. Nobody knew this was going to happen, but we put these trees out in the lobby full of ornaments, and you could purchase an ornament to sponsor one of our friends over in Afghanistan. I had just gotten back in November from this trip to Afghanistan where I went to a refugee camp, and all these, you know, 3,000 people were sleeping under UN plastic tarps, and their weather is just like the weather here. So imagine your family sleeping in a field under plastic tarp given you by the UN, and the reason they stuck them out there is because they hoped they would die, so they would kind of go away, but... But I came back, and you got it for $25, and for $50, and for $100, and for $2,600, you could build a house and all this kind of stuff. Without any, two weeks before Christmas, when none of us have any money, you guys laid $300,000 on folding tables out there and said, make sure these people have enough. And with that, here's what we did with your $300,000. We built this school, and we built this hospital. And right now, in the process, there are 40 or 50 homes under construction. In addition, we fed 3,000 people. For, for, for a whole winter, we, and we, we heated their homes. And last year when I was visiting there, while I was in the camp, two babies died just because they froze to death. There just wasn't enough wood to heat their tarp. And this year, our goal is this. Nobody dies because they don't have enough. <laughs> this year, we're going to do it a little bit different. This year, we hired several, do, do, several dozen unemployed widows. Their husbands have been killed by the Russians or by the Taliban or something like that, and they don't have enough to eat, so we hired them. We bought them cloth, we bought them thread, and uh, they, they made 3,000 ornaments for us. They're out in the lobby right now with the words in Dari, which is their language, for friendship, peace, and love. Right here. 
Three days ago, these are in Afghanistan. Today, they're in, they're in our lobby, and, and it kind of goes like this. For a donation of $25, you can feed and provide firewood for a family of seven for a week. You can keep a family alive for a week. For $100, you can do the same thing for a month. Now, that's all I'm going to say about that. Flat irons, let's just go be gob of skin on It's enough said, because you guys are, always show up. Let me close this thing up, and we'll get on to the last half of this thing. Paul is writing this. He goes, this is what it looks like when God puts on skin, and this is what it looks like when the followers of Jesus are Jesus with skin on. This is what happens. Look at the next verse. Therefore, because of what Jesus did, he served the neediest of the needy. He, he was obedient at great cost to himself. Because of all that, God exalted Jesus to the highest place. There's that big up there, okay? Exalted him to the highest place and, and gave him the name that's above every name. It's just better than every other name because done, he's done what nobody else could do. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, which I think it covers everything. And every t- tongue confess that Jesus Christ, Jesus Savior, Jesus Messiah is the Lord. He's the one that can connect us back to God, to the glory of God the Father. Here's what happens when Jesus puts skin on. And when you put skin on in Jesus' name and go into your God, People look back, not at you, but at God and say, you're amazing. You're good. You follow God? You follow this guy named Jesus? If Jesus is anything like you, I want to know more about him. He's really amazing. And again, isn't that some of our stories? Some of us, our our first trips, we've been away from God for a long time. We know who we are, okay? But our first trip steps back towards God was not because we stumbled into a church and heard a great talk. It's not because we were thumbing through the radio or something like that. I mean, a few of us maybe, and we heard a great Christian song. And then we said, oh, I'm back. You know, some of us maybe, but not most of us. Most of us is that somebody in our life who has skin on reached out to us, right? And this is our story. Somebody was nice to us. Somebody invited us maybe to come to this place. And we came for the first time or for the first time in a long time, and we bumped into Jesus. We don't have everything figured out, but we've come to this conclusion. I want to be connected to God. I don't want to live one more day apart from him. And I believe, I really think that Jesus is the one who can connect me back. And Jesus, Jesus says that when you come to that point in your life, and again, the only time that you can come to the, that point in your life is when you and God have your own conversation, the expression of, I believe Jesus is the one who can connect me back to God, the outward expression of that is called baptism. Now, you know, this whole series, okay, and I'm done, all right? This whole series, we're looking at this. God comes down, he does something, and then he lifts us up. Then God comes down. So we have this motion. And I don't know if God was thinking about this, you know. I think he probably was because he's a very smart God. But anyway, I think that's why, of all the things he could have picked to symbolize what God's doing in our life. I mean, he could have said, when you become a believer, I want you to climb a mountain or climb a tree or do the hokey pokey. He could have done a lot of different things. But what he said was, I want you to be baptized. I want you to go down. It's very humbling to go down. Some of you are sitting there going, I don't know if I could ever do that. I mean, my hair, my makeup, all that kind of stuff. You're right. You won't look your best. Just let you know that right now. Okay, all right? You go down. Something happens. And we don't believe baptism is what saves you. But it symbolizes that I'm being washed. I'm being cleaned. I'm, I'm being reconnected to God. Something's switching in my life. What, what should happen to me happened to Jesus. And what is good about Jesus is being kind of put on to me. And then I get lifted up. And I can't explain it more than this is that I'm just different. Isn't that a good picture of baptism? So here's the thing. Is, um, you see, <laughs> last time we did this, we had a few people signed up going, I think I'll, I think I'll be baptized. And some of you came tonight all prepared to be baptized. But just like last hour, most of the people that got baptized had no plans of coming to church and getting in a tank of water. Just wasn't on the agenda. 
And you know what? That's probably you. But I got a question tonight for you. It goes like this. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you really think? I mean, you can't get there with the whole thing. So I, I just can't get through the creation thing and that. Is it six days or six billion years? All right, put that over there, okay, all right? That's great, whatever. If that's your hang-up, all right, let's just move on, okay, all right? So I can't believe in this. I don't think you could walk around. Right, do you believe Jesus is the one that can connect you back to God? Yeah, I, I do. Then there's water. Be baptized. It won't save you, but my story is it'll change you. It just will. Now, if, if you didn't come prepared to be baptized, um, we have extra shirts, you know what I mean? And we have towels and things like that. And I know it's cold outside, but look at it this way. If you catch pneumonia, you're going to heaven, you know? So <laughs> I can ruin a moment, can't I? So here's the thing is, I'm going to pray. Baptism is just this. Can you answer this question? I believe. Now, some of you are baptized as babies, and that's cool, and that, that's great. But Jesus says when you come to the place where you believe, this is your decision. I want you to be baptized, not in magic water, but just in that obedience of humble serving. So I'm going to pray. We're going to watch this little video, and then just line the walls out, out there, and people will hand you a towel, and if you need a shirt, we'll give you a shirt. And you say, well, I, I came by myself. No one's going to baptize me. We have staff up here that will baptize you. But if you see somebody that's your friend going, would you baptize me? They'll baptize you. Let your mom baptize you. Let your kid baptize you. Let that guy, I don't know, just ask somebody to baptize you. They'll, they'll do it, okay? The main thing is I'm following Jesus. So I'm going to pray. Then we're going to sing a couple songs and um, uh, stand, sit, kneel, go take communion, whatever, and uh, then go out there and sign up uh, if you want to, and uh, if you love Jesus. And so, uh, uh, I'm just kidding. But uh, let me pray, and then watch this video, and then let's get baptized. Here we go. God, I love you. I just love you. I love Christmas because I believe, I do, I believe that you put on flesh and came down here and... Uh, and served me, gave me what I really needed in my life. And that was reconnection back to God. I mean, I needed good teaching, and I needed some good stories, and I, I needed to do what only you could do, but the one thing I needed you to do is reconnect me back to God, and you did that on a cross, and I believe that. And I was baptized several years ago, and some of us in here right now are going, well, you know, I can't come up with one reason why I shouldn't be baptized. And so they're going to get out of their chairs without any rehearsal at all, and they're going to come and say, I'm, I'm following you. So just move in this room as we worship you and as we remember you and as we give you thanks. That's my prayer. That's my Christmas prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.